the book of John, chapter 3. If you're new here, we're, you came at a great time because we are looking through our vision, our values of who we are as a church. We're calling our series The New Family of Jesus. And uh, Jesus gathers people from different parts of the world, from different experiences, from different backgrounds, from different socioeconomic places, and he gathers us to be the family. And so today we're going to talk about marriage to Christ, which is our fourth M, our fourth value. And what does this value mean for our marriages and for our singleness? And so really this is not meant to be a comprehensive uh, message today. This is really meant to be a message to give you an alternative vision for what your marriage can look like and an alternative vision for what your singleness can look like. And so I want to look at a passage of scripture out of John chapter 3. And so Vince, if you can please put that passage up and I want to read it for us and then we'll go into our, our time of our sermon really through a conversation with Pete and Jerry here today. And so hear the word of the Lord, John chapter 3. It says, an argument developed between some of John's disciples And a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. And this is the... Really, the the text, the line that I want to focus our time on, this is what he says. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time where we gather and worship and gathering as the family of Jesus here in this local church. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us very directly on these important matters of marriage and singleness. Lord, may we be attentive to the ways that your spirit is speaking to us. May you give us ears to hear you today. May you give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. May you give us a heart to receive every good gift that you have for us. And so we we pray that you would give us fresh revelation for our marriages fresh revelation for our singleness. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. One of the things when you look at the Gospels that is, is, is prevalent is the many different titles that Jesus has. Jesus has many different titles, and those different titles have different implications. Jesus is seen as the Son of Man. Jesus is seen as the Son of God. Jesus is seen as, of course, the Messiah. And Jesus in our text today is seen as the Bridegroom. Now, those four titles, and there are many more, those four titles really speak to something about God's relationship to the world. That Jesus is the Son of Man speaks to his humanity. That Jesus is the Son of God speaks to his divinity. That Jesus is the Messiah speaks to the fact that he is a deliverer. He is a liberator. But for our time today, we see this title of Jesus that we typically don't focus much on. We typically don't say it much. Jesus is seen as the bridegroom. Jesus is seen as the groom who is in union with the bride. And that's a beautiful picture of God's relationship for us because God wants to marry the church. 
God doesn't just want to, to date the church. He doesn't want to have a summer fling with the church. He wants to marry the church. And he wants to marry not just us collectively as the church. He wants to be in that kind of loving union relationship with us as individual people as well. And that's the beautiful part of the scriptures. Jesus comes down to marry us. And he came because he wanted to be deeply connected to us. And marriage is perhaps the best analogy to describe the kind of relationship that God wants to have with his people. It's one of passion. It's one of covenantal loyalty. It's, it's one of, uh, of God loving us and loving union. So God is passionate for you today. He's passionate for every single person in this room. He's loyal to every single person in this room. And we see the image of a wedding all throughout the scriptures. In the book of Genesis, we see that the Bible begins with a wedding. The book of Revelation ends with a wedding. So from the beginning of the scriptures to the end of the scriptures, we see a wedding. In the middle of the Bible, we have the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, which is a book that really speaks to the, the, the beauty, the passion, the sensuality, the sexuality of a marriage covenant relationship. And many theologians throughout history have said that that's really a picture of God's passionate love for his people. And so today we're going to look at the implications of what it means to be married to Christ. What does this mean? And really there are three implications for three aspects of our lives. To be married to Christ has direct implications for our marriages. For you that are married in this room today, this value of ours speaks directly to your marriages today. And my hope is that you would walk out of this place with a fresh vision for your marriage. That something would come alive in you to say, oh, that's what it means to be married. That's my prayer for you. To be married to Christ also means that has implications for our singleness. And for those of you that are single in this room, and our church is for the most part 50-50 in terms of married to singles, that you would see your singleness with a fresh revelation to go, oh, that's what it means to be single. And the third implication is for our sexuality. That really per pervades both our marriages and our singleness. That you would walk out of this place with a fresh vision for your sexuality. And realize, oh, that's what it means to live out our lives to be married to Christ. Because the world has many different messages. And the world will tell you what it means to be married. The world will tell you what it means to be single. The world will tell you what, how you should see your sexuality. But there's another story. It's the story of scripture. It's the story of the gospel. And so... With that, I, I wanted to have a conversation with Pete and Jerry today because they have spent a lot of time thinking along these lines, thinking about marriage, thinking about singleness, thinking about sexuality. And I wanted to have this uh, to be a conversation because there are many different layers to this. And we needed more of an informal setting to really get to the different layers and to the complexities of marriages, of singleness, and to sexuality. And so with that, Pete, let's, let's just start with you. Uh, you spent some time thinking about this. Why should we even be thinking about marriage, singleness, and sexuality? And, and really, as we think about this massive topic, what's some of the challenges that are before us? Well, again, you can't, you can't think about your Christian life without thinking about the fact that to become a Christian is to say, I do to Jesus. At some point in your life, you cross a line, you say yes. And really, the best image of Scripture gives us is that you're now married uh, to Christ. And someday that marriage will be fully consummated when you see him face to face. So that's where it's all heading. So that, that image is the best. That, uh, the, uh, you know, every analogy breaks down. But it's, the, it's the least inadequate of all the analogies we have. And so it captures this sense of a, 
of our longing and thirst for love. We all have it. And I love this, you know, this quote by Augustine. You know, the deepest desire of the human heart is to see another and be seen by that other's loving look. So we have it for human beings, uh, all of us in this room, uh, but all of them have it for God, to see God and to be seen by God. And so you were made, and I was made, for a banquet and a feast and an infinite love that nothing on earth can satisfy. And every pleasure uh, on earth that we enjoy, which we're called to enjoy them, is actually a pointer. And so you've got this hunger and thirst we all do for, this love that we just sang about in the offering, and that uh, it comes out of marriage to him. And so when we talk about sexuality, we talk about marriage, singleness, we're getting to the core of our lives because we're all broken at the same time. And that our sexuality, our, the, the theological term is, is disordered, it's broken by sin. So we all come in this room with sexual brokenness in different manner, shapes, or forms. And, 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 uh, and yet we have this enormous longing to love and be loved. And so Jesus comes, dies on the cross for our sins, and rises from the dead to give us a new heart, to reorder our desires, to love what's good, true, and beautiful. And so that's discipleship. And so when we talk about our vocation or our calling, we're all called to the same thing as we're called to Jesus. We're called to love him and be married to him. But we all have a secondary calling. And that secondary calling is you're either married or you're single right now. And just you know, even if you're married, probably all of us in this room will be single at some point. In fact, with the way the population is aging, there are so many different types of singles, widows, widowers, uh, folks who long for a spouse, haven't found a spouse yet, it's life situations where we're living in places or in occupations where they're not meeting anybody. But that, that, that learning to be vocationally married and vocationally single is critical for all of us in this room. Mm. So that's why it's such a, a warfare issue and we should not be surprised that there's such enormous confusion out there about marriage and sexuality and singleness. And so we're here because God calls us to be a, a countercultural community that's a sign and a wonder of what is true. As we're going to talk about here, Christian marriage is very different than secular marriage. Christian singleness is very different than secular singleness as understood in our culture. And so with that, we're going to unpack really what, what are the distinctives for a Christian marriage? What are the distinctives for a Christian single? But... Before we go into that, um, over the last few years, there have been many new people coming in. I'm sure some of you maybe are your first or second time here to New Life. And so we, I wanted just to frame our time, Jerry, just by sharing a little bit of your, your story of marriage. Because over the last uh, 15, 16 years or something, God has done something in both of you, in your marriage, deepening it. But it didn't start that way. Surprisingly, it didn't start that way. So how did you begin your marriage? And then what happened that there was a shift in it? very committed to Christ. And we thought, I guess we thought that if we just loved Jesus, everything would work out, which is not necessarily true. So the first several years of our marriage were difficult, uh, painful, because you really need skills to be married. You need skills for in intimacy. You need skills for intimacy as a single person, too. But in marriage, you absolutely need them, because of the intensity and the closeness of two human beings. So. Uh, skills helped, and then over the years, a deepening uh, and clear theology or vision, God's vision for marriage. So those are two things you really need for Christian marriage. You need skills, and you need a great vision or theology. How, how would you describe your marriage the first few years before this happened? Just give us a, paint a picture for us 
of what your marriage looked like? Well, if, uh, uh, if we disagreed, I was right and he was wrong. <laughs> Very simply. <laughs> so I think there was, there was uh, a minor part. There was lots of blaming and, um, and defensiveness and criticalness. On Pete's part, there was probably lots, lots, there was lots of appeasing, you know, trying to make me happy, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, two people vying for happiness in the wrong ways. And how many years was it like that until something broke? And I would say that our marriage, uh, although we were Christians, and you know, we really reflected our parents' marriage. I mean, that's all we knew was our, what our families had lived, and we just naturally were, even though we were Christians, trying to do the best we could. But we never received any kind of discipling or training or equipping to be married. It was just supposed to kind of happen naturally. We found out it doesn't happen. And so our first seven, eight years were really quite difficult. And uh, yeah, we loved each other. We just didn't know how to love each other. And we were stuck. And as we say at New Life... As Pete just said, you know, Jesus lives in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. And so uh, you were living out generational patterns, and you just brought that into your marriage. But something happened, and some skills came. And so let's just focus on that. Talk about what, what makes a Christian marriage distinct. And as married couples walk out of this building today, when they think about this coming week... How can this week be different than all the other weeks up to this point now? You can take it. Okay, so we're going to talk about both marriage and singles as a vocation and a prophetic sign. And uh, probably the key text uh, for marriage, really for all of us, comes out of Ephesians 5, where it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery when I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul cannot think of the institution of marriage without thinking of a sign and wonder speaking and pointing to something beyond itself. In other words, that every mar- Christian marriage is meant actually to be almost like an evangelistic witness. It bears witness to something eternal, to the calling of every human being which is to be one with God. Mm. And there's no relationship on earth of, of a level of closeness of a human marriage where two people are totally naked, living together, you know, physically, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally. And that it is a, for Paul, this is a profound word mystery. It's a revelation. It's a vocation. It's a calling that when you make a vow to be married, you've now changed your entire life in terms of your vocation. Yes, you're called to Christ. And you're going to now live that out of your marriage. And you're going to love this person in such a way that the world sees something of heaven of the love of God in the way that you love each other. It's not just for your children, it's for the entire world. Mm. Mm. So Jerry, just unpack that for us. Right. What does so it look like? As you leave today, uh, you're not going to get the skills. Okay? To, get, to get the skills for marriage takes, um, it's a whole, that's a different setting. Um, but we will be offering skills at, so there'll be a marriage retreat where you'll get all the, you'll get the theology and the skills Valentine's weekend right here at New Life. So you can put that on your calendars. Also, we'll offer a skills course after January, five intensive nights, because you need the skills to really to live out your marriage to Christ. Mm. Today, I hope you'll leave here with a vision, with a, a, God's, you know, a good God's vision, because without a vision, people perish. You can have skills and not have a vision. Both are really important. 
So I want to make two distinctions in terms of your, giving you a vision. First of all, there's the vision of the difference between Christian marriage and secular marriage. They're very, very different. Secular marriage is more or less, I hope we get along and we don't fight too much. Okay? And, and yeah, but in, in Christian marriage, though, the standard is we will seek to love one another like Christ loves the church. Mm. I mean, that's huge. Mm. That's, um, and so we have the cross. Some of you can see that in front of us. And for me, the number one thing, to love like Christ loves the church means how I love Pete. It's, it's not suffering. It's passion. Mm. So when I think of the cross and how Christ loves me, he's passionate about me. So passion in Christian marriage is crucial. God really does want you to be happy in your marriage. Marriage is actually supposed to be a little taste of heaven on earth, but we have to nurture that. So that's one distinction. You've got to be able to have a uh, distinction between Christian marriage and secular marriage. But then we also have to distinguish between single spirituality and married spirituality. They're different. Uh, Christian marriage or Christian Christian marrieds are not two singles who now have a spirituality because they go to church together or because they read the Bible together, or because they pray together. I do that with my small group. Okay? What makes a Christian, Christian's married spirituality is sexuality. See, sexuality is the one thing we share that we don't share with anyone else. And our sexuality is central to our spirituality. Now, when I talk about sexuality. I'm talking about our masculinity and our femininity and our attraction to each other. God made us, God created male and female with with, and set up sort of a magnetic attraction so we would be attracted to one another. And and that's where that passion comes in. And we fell in love because of that attraction. Now here's the thing. That passion... And that attraction has no expiration date. It's not just for the premaritals, and it's not for the extramaritals. It is for the marrieds. Christian marrieds, we have the the potential. Mm. And God's vision is that we are the most passionate and sexually attracted. Uh, Because it's You know, I'm called to love many people, but I'm only called to be in love with one person. And so Pete and I um, reflect, and marriage, all Christian marriage are called to reflect the love of Christ, to be a picture of the love of Christ by being crazy about one another. Jesus is crazy about you. And Jesus is crazy about me. And so we, it's that passion for one another and, of course, making our marriage uh, our number one priority mm. in life. And as we do that, as we nurture our sexuality and our passion, we, of course, we benefit from that love. The church benefits from that love, and the world benefits from that love. You know the yeah. difference between being with a couple who has lots of tension? Um, it's, it's, it's unnerving. You know what it's like to be with a couple who is in love. 
They, they emanate something totally different. You can be at peace in their presence. But God knew what he was doing because when a couple lives in love, just like the couple who's falling in love, the world looks different. We see, and we see the best in the other. We drop our rough edges. The other brings out the best in me. And that's what Christianity is about. That God, it brings us, he wants to bring us to our best self. And people who are in love are their best self. Mm. Now that goes against the prevailing story of how marriages are seen where, you know, I quoted the philosopher Chris Rock a couple of weeks ago where he said, uh, do you want to be married and bored or do you want to be single and lonely? And like those are the two options that we have before us. What you're saying is, to be married, typically the idea is you're in love. You're passionate about each other. Then you get married. It's like, hey, how are you? You just become roommates, glorified roommates. What you're saying is, no, to be Christians and to be married, the vision is enduring passion for each other. What else is there? You talk about affirmation as one. How does affirmation play in that role of cultivating passion to make us distinct in the world? Right. So... Uh, being married to Christ, hopefully we have practices that nurture our relationship with Christ. In the same way, Pete and I have practices that nurture our passion. And one of those practices is affirmation. And it, affirmation has such an incredible, I, I realize it has an incredible supernatural power. And it's because, I believe, it. It is, it's one of the things closest to imaging God. If I had a name, one of the names for God, I mean, he is the God who sees, would he, because he, he calls out the best in us. God sees the best in each one of us, and he's always drawing that out. He's mm. always calling that out. And so affirmation is one of the most important practices we have. Almost daily, we have a time set aside for where we are calling out the best in one another. Now, I did not grow up in, I, I grew up in a family that loved me, and I knew they loved me, but we weren't great at it. We weren't really good at affirmation. And I think, generally speaking, people are really, we're good at saying what we don't like, and we call out what we don't like about, you know, those closest to us. But just try it. I mean, you walk out of here, you want one skill, that I, I am now chosen. I have chosen to see the best in Pete. He has so many incredible qualities and attributes. His <laughs> <laughs> Call them out, Jerry. Call them out. His intellect, his friendliness, his ability to think about many things at the same time, his, his, his tenderness, his sensitivity... He's all. <laughs> Is Rosie here? Where's Rosie at here? So I had to learn affirmation, but when I have it, when I experience the supernatural power of what affirmation does to another human being, there's no going back. Mm. Now it doesn't mean that we don't have our, our days of you know of being hurt by one another or our disappointments or our annoyances, but this, this sexual, the atmosphere of sexuality and affirmation that uh, holds our marriage, hmm. 
I, uh, you know, the annoyances are easily moved through. Mm. And we're able to love each other like Christ. So give, this very practically, as a married couple walks out here and you say, we want to cultivate the practice of affirmation. What, what does this look like tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening? Just give us like a very practical way of living this out here. Let me give you a point of broad thing that you can get practical. So, so we talk about marriage. If, you, if you're married in this room, it's a vocation, a prophetic sign that uh, one of the key words is the word ambition. And we have ambition for many things that are good. We have ambition to get another graduate degree or go to college. We have ambition to uh, you know, go up a ladder in our profession. I'll become a professional. That's all fine. But if you're married as a Christian, your first ambition after Christ is your ambition to have a fantastic marriage and to love your spouse like Christ loves the church, to make what's important to them important to you. For me, making what's important to Jerry important to me uh, is not something my family ever did. I come from a good macho culture. You got married, you raised kids. The priority was raising kids if you had children. But it was not the marriage. Kind of you went on autopilot and just lived the rest of your life. But it wasn't something you invested in. You, You stayed together. You were stable. You may not have been intimate or happy, but you were together. Christian marriages, my first ambition is to have a marriage that's a sign and a wonder that out of our love together, we bear fruit and we give to the world. Uh, and so for me, it means waking up in the morning and I've always got lots of things I want to do, but to be undistracted and say, you know, what's important to Jerry today and how, do, how can I make that important to me? And not just get wrapped up in my world with its you know, new life, pastoring, writing, you know, meeting with people. Um, but to work around the house, which is not my thing, you know, cooking a meal, oh my gosh, you know, uh, you know, but I've come to love nature because it's one of the great, Jerry's great passions over the years, but, but that has been a tremendous switch for me. I mean, it goes into my bloodstream of generations. Men never did something like that. It was a very much a man-centered marriage. And so for me, waking up every day has been very different as a follower of Christ that my, my vocation and my secondary vocation after Jesus is now I made a vow to her. And now all of life flows out of that. That's, and that, that's a cross, but it's a resurrection and a life, and it's changed my life you know, for good. Um, that's my, my job description. You know, I have a job description at New Life. But really, my job description before that is that she would know that she is loved and lovable. That she'd feel it. Not just know it in her head, but she actually feels it from me that she is loved and lovable. Because that's how God feels about it. And not being picked apart. And that, and that you're loving me, I, I experience that through your presence to me and your responsiveness to me. And, and that's the same. <laughs> we were on the corner of 13th and 9th last Saturday. And uh, we had, you know, we're ridden the West Side Highway on our bikes. And now we we're going to get something to eat. Of course, and I'm a foodie. So I have to find like the perfect place to eat. So I'm yelping for the perfect place. And so I said, okay, you know, and I'm, I'm like hurrying because I don't want him to, you know, whatever, get impatient or annoyed. And, and, and so I lead us down this way. And I go, oh no, it's not this way, I yelp again. And now I lead us this way. And now I'm really like, oh my goodness, he might be really getting impatient. But I'm looking at him and he's not. And I say, okay, you know what? We have to now go this way. I mean, I yelped like three different times, we went three different directions. And I was so aware, I looked at him in the face, and he was just like this. <laughs> and, but, you see, for me, I grew up where parents were easily annoyed. So 
to be in the presence of someone who was not, he was not easily annoyed. And he said, honey, to, uh, we have all day. Wherever you want to go, I'm delighting in you. He's going to pray for all the men today. Just raise it to anoint us with oil. Pray for us, Pete. But I, I, I kept looking at his face. Is he annoyed yet? Is he annoyed yet? <laughs> but I'm telling you, he had it was it was it was a, it was God in skin for me. I'm mm. not that good every day. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right, but all those moments come. So we one of the, well, the way that we do affirmation daily is through a, uh, another practice we call skin to skin. Because sexuality is what makes marriage marriage, one of, right? one of the core. And so we have a commitment to nakedness. Because nakedness is an expression of our deep unity, our oneness. And it also creates unity. And so one of the ways that we are loving like Christ loves the church is by nurturing that unity, that presence, that responsiveness. And then out of that, we're able to love all of you. And so we will, in in nakedness, we will hold each other in our arms and speak those words of affirmation to each other. And it's an almost daily practice. It takes precedence in our life. Because if you're married, your spirituality Mm. is your marriage. Mm. And sexuality is a profound pathway to holiness if you're married. Now, I know that might be a, you know, maybe it's the first time you're hearing something like this. But let today be the beginning of of this grand, wonderful vision God has. He's created marriage supposed to be a way to make it easier for us to love. Yeah, yeah. You want to say more thing before we move on, Pete? Just, you know, for those marriages, before we go to the singles, um, you know, we know there's great brokenness in marriage and failures, you know, from emotional to physical affairs, all kinds of things, the tragedies and divorces. But we stand before you as a testimony of the grace of God, mm. that God's grace can rescue, save, deliver, and make whole any marriage. Mm. We were the last people that knew how to be married. Um, but our prayer is that Sink, will, New Life Fellowship will be a countercultural community of marrieds who are a sign of wonder that singles will look at our marrieds here at this room, that, that singles that want to get married, young people will say, you know what, if that's marriage, that's worth waiting for. I'll, I'll wait sexually until marriage. You can have that great a sex life in marriage? Wow, that's awesome. I'll wait for that. Sad thing is singles look at married couples and say, that is not worth waiting for. You look bored out of your brain. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just better just sleeping around and hooking up with anybody that walks right by. That's a great tragedy. Mm. And, and a myth. It's a obviously it's a myth. So with that, let's move forward. Yeah, and I want to say one more thing before we move on to singleness, and is that when you notice a couple of years ago, I was very convicted by something Jerry said at one of our conferences, and that the disproportionate nature of how we invest in our marriages. And I realized something that we spend a lot of money on our wedding day for a wedding for a day. But there's such a disproportionate amount of money and resources that we use to cultivate a wonderful marriage. And so thousands of dollars go to the one day and very little money goes towards how can we make this. And so at New Life, we offer different courses. We offer different retreats. And so you owe it to yourself to take advantage of the equipping opportunities and to uh, uh, resource yourself in that way as well. And so that's marriages. 
Not many of us know how to be married and we're trying to get on a journey here. But the same applies to singleness. Not many people know how to be single. I remember when I was single, um, really, I, I received two pieces of advice indirectly from all the preachers and pastors. And it was this. Wait on God. And don't do anything stupid while you're waiting. It was like, that, was, that was basically it. Like God has someone for you. But don't screw it up. Don't mess it up. Don't do anything stupid. So be patient. And so what happened was this. It was a, a fear-driven approach to singleness. And so I, there was never a vision painted for me that this is how you can live as a single person. It was always that something's missing from your life and not forgetting that Jesus was single, the apostle Paul was single. We forget all these things like that. But that's the scripts that we have been taught. And so we want to get a fresh vision for that. And I recognize all of us here, we're, we're married, but you guys have spent a lot of time. This is why I wanted to and, and have them speak to us. You've spent a lot of time thinking about singleness in conversations with many singles. And so you've lived in this space as well. Uh, so before we go into what makes it uh, distinctly, uh, a Christian distinctly single as well, and some of the skills that we need, uh, just give us a little bit of your story as well of singleness. I was, um, when, I be- when I became a committed follower of Christ, I was actually almost engaged, not to Pete. And um, then I, so I became a committed follower of Christ, and for me, like, everything changed. Because I realized this person um, did not have a relation with Christ and different values. I, I, all I knew was that if I'm married to Christ and this person isn't, this is not good. And so I, I broke off that relationship. I guess, hey, son, what's really interesting about this? Jerry and I were friends at that point because I'd become a Christian first and she became a Christian after that. And I remember her struggling. We were both like new Christians and she was struggling about whether to break off this engagement with this guy. And I remember, we're just friends, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's a really nice guy. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, like, like she's and really responsible, and I'm like, man, she is committed to Christ, you know? But it's funny, I remember the conversation at the kitchen table in her apartment in college when she was going to break up with this guy and being like, wow, she's, you know, she's married to Christ first. And nothing was going to, you know, come in the way of that. But anyway, so I just... Was, no, so I had, then, so it was wonderful. I mean, I had, you know, several years... Many, I don't know, many years to um, really cultivate my marriage to Christ. And we grew up in a spiritual formation that um, taught us just seek first God's kingdom and everything else will be added unto you. And that was really especially, especially in the context of relationships. Mm. So it's not, I didn't, it's not much. I didn't really think about relationships or dating that much. It was seek first God's kingdom and Everything else will be added unto you. Mm. So I, I wasn't that preoccupied yeah. as a single. You, you, we're reflecting about our single. So I became a Christian at 19, and we got married. I was 28. Jerry was 27. And, um, you know, for me, there was two, two, two scriptures informed, you know, my life. One was out of 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul writes, I'd like you to be free from concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Uh, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. But, and there's a basic quote, I pray that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And he says the same thing to females in the same text. But I think for myself, I think for Jerry too, 
we were, for, we were about Christ. I mean, Jesus was the center of our lives. And, and so we were very content singles. Now, again, we were living in a college campus. People were sleeping around and uh, all that stuff was happening. But we were cultivating and nurturing our walk with Jesus. And we were living in a community with other singles. And we were, there was quite a great contentment. I, I actually purposely didn't date for a number of years because I wanted to be undivided in my own growth in Christ and service to Christ. And uh, it was wonderful. And secondly, a significant scripture was the fact of there's more to sex than skin to skin. And sex is as much spiritual mystery as a physical fact. This is from the, the message version of 1 Corinthians 6. As written in scripture, the two will become one. Or don't you know, realize your body is a sacred place, the, uh, the place of the Holy Spirit. And the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. And and I mean, that was very significant in a, in a culture that was highly sexualized. And to have a, a very disordered, so to have an ordered sexuality was quite challenging. It's quite challenging today. And so um, when I finally did come to a place at the age of like 27, and I was like, wow, I think, you know, I had this desire and longing and my loneliness for a relationship. And they were saying, who is, you know, you know oh, uh, someone I'd be interested in maybe, you know, dating or spending time with uh, maybe the rest of my life. And I said, who's the most godly woman I knew? And for me, there was never a question who's the most godly woman I knew. It was Jerry. And we were living in separate cities at the time. And I remember contacting her. And, you know, we were friends. And saying, well, why don't we consider, like, quote, dating, whatever that means, you know, and going the next step. But what drew me to her was her relationship with Jesus. It was the depth of the fact that I knew that if I stopped following Jesus, she wouldn't. And I wanted to marry someone who was so committed to Christ, it was not going to be dependent on my spirituality. They had their own depth of walk with God. And uh, that, that's a rare find, as you know. It was, very, it was very critical for me, knowing that we would do whatever God had for our lives uh, first. We were married to Christ first before we'd be married to each other. And, uh, and so... Um, yeah, give, just give us an idea, an idea now of... What are some of the skills? We talk about the marital skills, the affirmation, ambition. What do singles in this room need? So as, as we walk out here, what are a couple of skills that we can just hold on to this week to cultivate that? I mean, I, Jerry and I were talking about this yesterday. We, we wish we could have a number of singles who are quite mature and are, you know, really walked this through and thought about it. We're in the audience right now. I see Sue over there and Bonnie and others who have just you know, walked out a faithful singleness for Christ um, who aren't necessarily vocational celibates, like Rosie would be, who spoke a few weeks ago, is now at the monastery out in Wisconsin. But, you know, it's, you know, wrestling with their singleness, but content, joyful, and living this out. Because there's so many, we want to be learning from each other in this body. That's why community is so important. Um, so some very practical things for singles. Let me just, you know, add this out. Number one is, obviously, you want to be nurturing your walk with Jesus, number one. Because you want to become the person God intends, truly. And the only way to become the person God intends is to be walking with Jesus. That there's nothing more important for you. And, and, you're, and you're learning to be alone. Alone is different than loneliness. Okay, Aloneness is something every human being needs to cultivate. The, like Jesus cultivated an aloneness with the Father. He also cultivated excellent friendships. He lived in community. I mean, his, his, his relationship with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, you know, John the Apostle, it's stunning. But he understood the need for touch, human touch. Um, he understood the need for closeness of human beings. It's very important that we as a church are really creating a community for our singles as well as our marrieds that is a countercultural place. And I really appreciate those in our midst taking leadership 
uh, to build community. Um, but we can take steps uh, with our loneliness and mm. meeting that. Um, it is critical that we are building healthy community of relationships that are free, faithful, loving, and, and healthy. Many of us come out of families we did not experience healthy relationships. And we've been involved with the opposite sex in very unhealthy relationships. And so here you are at New Life. And we see as part of our task is equipping you to live out a healthy singleness and a healthy sexuality which honors you as well as the other person. That is no small task in a culture like ours. We know that. And, uh, and we fall, we make mistakes, but God loves you, we get up. There's forgiveness and grace. And as one person said to me, if there wasn't grace at New Life, I wouldn't be here. And I appreciate that. But we want to teach you skills. Mm. We want to teach you how to bond and connect with other people. Some of us, perhaps many of us, come out of cultures and families we don't know how to bond and connect. And so what we do is we jump in bed with somebody. And it's kind of a, a way to connect. But that, is, but that is not the way we want to be connecting. In fact, we have a, a chart here, and maybe Jerry can explain it, about, um, yeah, honey, let me see what, it, what goes here. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, you know, how not to marry a jerk, okay? How not to marry a jerk yet. Great book called How Not to Marry a Jerk or Jerkette. And then we actually do a seminar in New Life on that. How, how many of you have never seen this chart before? Raise your hands. Hi. Okay, good. Okay. It's called a relationship attachment model. Right. So, so, to understand this, usually there's five, there's five areas that you really want to be paying attention to in developing relationships. The first area is to know someone. Okay, and what it means to know someone is it's going to take time. It's going to probably take four seasons, which is a year, or maybe even eight seasons. And time, different contexts, get to know their family. So that's, that kind of covers that area, no. And then there's the area of trust. That's another important area. How much can I trust this person? Um, and are, then thirdly, can I rely on them? Are they reliable? And then commit and then touch. Now, of course, you have to be the kind of person also that you want to attract. So here's the principle. You never go higher in the area um, to the right. So it goes left to right. So, oh, it doesn't go. Okay, so you trust the, the, the first column there, no. I should face this way. You're all facing this way. This first column, no. Okay. Um, the one to the right should never be higher than the one to the left. So if, if you only know someone a little bit, then you don't trust them a lot. Okay? <laughs> and if you don't, and only if you have a little bit of trust for someone, don't be relying on them. And if you can't rely on somebody, don't commit. <laughs> and if you can't commit, there should be limited touch. <laughs> now, what happens in our culture is we do this. We move up, no, about an inch, and we move up touch over there. Okay? That is a disordered relationship. This, so this is what you want to keep in mind. Mm. Never go higher um, than the one to the left. Mm. Okay? This is the order. But hopefully in a relationship, they're going up. So you're you know, gradually getting to know this person. And as you're getting to know them, you're beginning to trust them. Oh my 
goodness, they're, they're, they're trustworthy, you know? And so you're not giving them like your ATM card on the first date or what, but you, or, and you can trust them to, and eventually you can trust them to maybe even have the keys to your apartment and, and feed the dog or whatever. But again, there's lots of levels of trust, but trust never exceeds no, but they start going up. And I go, wow, I can trust this person. Now I can begin to rely on them. But you know what? If they always say they're going to be there at 8 o'clock and they're not there at 8 o'clock, you know? And reliance has lots of areas. But maybe you can. They say, they tell you something, and they follow through. And the reliance goes up. So the knowing's going up, the trusting's going up, the reliance going up. Oh, then I can commit, you know? Yeah, this is, this is a trustworthy relationship. It's safe. I can make certain commitments. And then maybe there's appropriate touch to that level of commitment, whether it's, you know, hand-holding, whatever. Again, right? There's a whole... Hand-holding. There's a whole whole spectrum of touch. Touch is, you know... I mean, this, this is touch, right? So... There's your principle. And what's, what's really important is, again, our culture gives us a whole different story where it doesn't even say no. Our culture is like, even if you don't know the person, go to touch. That's what, our, that's what Hollywood teaches. This is what the stories we hear. But there's a different this is This will save you misery right. and pain. Because sometimes we, we take the love believes all things totally out of biblical context. Well, love believes all things, so I should trust this person you know, I commit to themselves, no, 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 no. They have to trust. A person has to earn trust. It's not automatically given. See, the reason we as a church don't want you jumping in bed with people is not because we don't think sex is beautiful and lovely. We just think it's so incredible and awesome that sex is not an activity. It's a communication. And so what I'm communicating in, in sexual intercourse with a person is oneness. Of marriage, belongs with marriage. I am committed. I'm gonna, my love for you is totally. I totally love you, not just a part of you. I love you freely. I love you faithfully till I die, and I love you that fruit might come out of our lives. But that's a covenantal love. That's why sexuality is so incredible. It's such a it's such a beautiful thing. It's such an incredible thing. It it needs a covenant around it. And when you we just jump in, we make it an activity and not a communication. It gets, we, that's why so many of us, we're carrying damage because you can't do that and not get damaged emotionally and spiritually. It just wrecks you. But here's the great news, everybody. We've all been damaged, like most of us in this room. God is good. And our God is a God of resurrection. And our God is a God who makes all things new. And he comes to, to, to Jesus died to give us a new heart and new desires. See, many of us have desires that are twisted. And, but Jesus comes by the Holy Spirit. He dies for us. He rises. He sends the Spirit. And now he reworks our desires. Mm. That we actually want the good. We want the true. And we want the beautiful. It's from the inside out. And so... Yeah. Let's do this. Let's invite the worship who's come forward. In order to live this out, we need grace. We need the power of grace. We need prayers of grace. And so... Uh, Pete, why don't you close us out? Let's, let me invite everyone to stand at this moment as our worship team comes forward. And Pete's going to close us with some prayers of grace. And I recognize in this room there's some folks that are, uh, all of us, to some degree or another, are broken people. Our marriages, our singleness. 
And we need the power of prayer and the power of grace. And while I'm doing that, I want to invite the prayer team to come to my right here. Pete's going to pray for us. We'll go into a song of worship and then we'll close out. But um, Pete, why don't you just lead us and pray for us? Just uh, bow for a moment here. You know, his prayer is a very undervalued resource. God does things in prayer inside of us that can happen. It's just unbelievable. And understand, if we're asking for something God wants to give us, you can expect he's going to do it in your heart. As we're here today, all right? And so, Lord, I ask you to release grace by the Holy Spirit in this room, Lord, to every uh, married person and every single person. And, Lord, that grace of a, of a, of a vision to see, Lord, what we, what we are designed to be in Jesus. And, Lord, that you would reorder and we rework our hearts and desires and give us a, a hunger and longing for you and for the good, the true, and the beautiful. And so may grace be poured out on, on you. and May you receive forgiveness for all the past and, and all your wounds and all your shame. May, may that be just given to Jesus right now. And may you receive his love and his affirmation and may his grace to become the woman, to become the man he's called you to be. And God, may God lead every single here into great community, great relationships, every marriage into, into a beautiful intimacy. And Lord, may we be a sign and wonder in this world, uh, us as the body of Christ, for the sake of the name of Jesus. And I pray this in his name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you. Okay, so as we close here, as I mentioned earlier, we have in our shell room, we have our uh, small group connection, which is really a wonderful practical application to what you heard today. If you're married or if you're single, there are new communities that are emerging. And what I hope you do is you begin to at least investigate it to see where might God be connecting me here at New Life Fellowship Church. And so downstairs, there'll be some refreshments. There'll be many tables downstairs, a great opportunity to meet new people and see how God might be leading you. And so don't run out of here. Uh, just get connected. Maybe just give your name for more information later on. But there are many different opportunities for you to connect. And that's for kids as well. Parents, if you have kids of small children, you can connect them to a small group and for us adults in this room as well. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And we have our prayer team to my right back here. And I imagine in this room, there's so much wounds and brokenness in this room that we really need to be covered by prayer, to be covered in hope for you as married people, for you as single people, that you would walk out of here with a great sense of hope that, yes, God loves me and God has a great future for me. And so if you'd like to receive that, you can come up towards my right. And we have the Lord's table to my left. That We'll have some, someone here just to offer the bread and the cup for you. That Jesus was broken for you. So that you might walk out of this place really in wholeness and in freedom. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a greater sense of his presence. May you walk out of here with a greater sense of hope for your marriage and with a greater sense of hope for your future as a single person. And so I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful in the resurrected name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.